someone said so fairly recently, um, and, and I, I find it so helpful. He says something like, and I can identify, the older I get, the less I believe. <laughs> but that which I believe, the stronger my faith. And I've, I've reflected on it many times, and it's like there's, there's so much stuff that's thrown at us for us to focus our faith and attention. And I think as we journey with Jesus, the, the simpler it gets, it's a simple gospel message. God so loved the world that he gave his only son so that whoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life and I'm finding myself it's like you know sometimes people say you know um, do you believe in the pre-millennium or post-millennium or a millennium well I studied that many times and actually my answer is Jesus is very clear only the father knows when he's coming back and he is coming back I believe we need to be ready and alert and awake simple and when it comes to healing, there's so much mystery as we've looked over these weeks. I believe he's a God who heals. And we're just going to round off the series a little bit. If you've got your Bibles with you, or your phones, or your iPads, the words will be on the screen. So we're looking at James 5, 13 to 18. James is a great letter. It's powerful, it's direct. It's pastoral, it's loving, it's disturbing, and yet it's wonderfully glorious as well. And at the end of the chapter, so James 5, 13 to 18, we read this. Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing psalms. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with the oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the sick and the Lord will raise him up. And if he's committed sins, he will be forgiven. Confess your trespasses to one another. Pray for one another that you may be healed. The effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. And that's man, women, men, women. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed earnestly that it would not rain. And it did not rain on the land for three years and six months. And he prayed again, and the heaven gave rain, and the earth produced its fruit. As we've mentioned, we come to the end of our series on healing and wholeness. Have you enjoyed it? Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. And over the weeks, we've looked at a number of key areas, so including the part faith plays in healing and miracles, the importance of forgiveness, that's both receiving forgiveness for ourselves, but also giving forgiveness as well, the relationship between miracles and medicine, knowing God's presence with us in the midst of pain, pursuing inner healing and a healthy spirituality. And at the heart of it, knowing Jesus, our wounded healer. He heals us not only on the inside and outside, but he releases his power in and through us so that we can go out and heal in his name. And it's been powerful to hear many wonderful testimonies of healings over the weeks. And so thank you to some of you who've shared your testimonies. 
but also thank you to many of you who have either written or told us and given us positive feedback along the way. And actually, as Heather kind of intimated at the beginning, reflecting on what we studied, it's been clear to us that there's so much more to the breadth and depth and, if you like, height of healing and being made whole. So we've decided to do uh, a series in the new year, a kind of part two, and we're going to call it Holy and Whole. So slight elaboration on healing and wholeness, holy and whole. And I, I hope it's all right with you, but I'm really excited by this. And I kind of reckon the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are excited about this too, because one thing I know for certain in my own personal journey, the more I have pursued healing, and I didn't grow up in a culture that stepped out and prayed for healing, um, you know, living in a church environment for many, many years of my life, really until we came here, and then we had wonderful experiences in Toronto and all the rest of it. It was then that God opened my eyes to the healing ministry that he wants us to have. So many years, you know, I, could, I heard about it, read about it, wanted it to be, if you like, a reality in our midst, but it took a long time. But one thing I know, as I have pursued healing, and that's inside and out. So it's not just focusing on the physical healing, as important as it is. Healing of the heart, healing the deep wounds that we all have growing up as children and through life, all that comes at us, the mental and the spiritual things that we face. The more I've pursued it, honestly, the more I have seen and witnessed healings in extraordinary ways in my life and around me. And I'm not a mathematician, so I can't even give you the right uh, description of it. But, you know, in maths you have graphs. Yeah? I don't know why I'm doing that. A graph and then that. <laughs> um, I don't know how to describe it. But, you know, in my early days, the line was there. And then as I pursued healing, it's doing that. You can explain to me later what I'm talking about. Um, I'm going back many years, but I think you get the picture. As I've stepped out in faith and been encouraged by people around me and seen others, kind of heroes of the faith, people who I look up to and respect, do that. And it's faith and obedience according to God's word. That graph line has increased incredibly. You see, have a conversation about Jesus' healing, and the conversation turns into application. You can't talk about healing unless you apply it. Apply the tools that Jesus has given us to heal, and the application turns into transformation. It changes the atmosphere around us. Transform the atmosphere around us with the presence and power that Jesus releases in and through us by the Father's love and by the power of the Holy Spirit. And that transformation turns into sanctification. And you know a sanctified church, a holy church, is the most powerful body on earth. Just let that sink in. You know when you write words, and you go, wow, well, that sounds a big, bit big-headed. But I wrote these words and went, wow, 
not because of me, because of what God was showing. A sanctified church is the most powerful body on earth. It's a place of hope. It's a place of healing. It's a place of restoration. It's a place of reconciliation. It's a place of salvation. And Nico's agreeing with me. It's a place of wholeness. And I think this is why healing and wholeness is so important for such a time as this. 2,000 years ago, Jesus said these words. Do not say there are still four months and then comes the harvest. Behold, I say to you, lift up your eyes, look at the fields, for they are already white for harvest. It's like, do not say, you know, the harvest isn't ready. Stop making excuses. Stop putting off the work that God has called us to and holding back from going into the field and doing that which he's called us to do. Don't say this stuff. I'm telling you, lift up your eyes, open your eyes. And I know when we look around, in our community, in our world, with what's going on. It's like Jesus saying, look at the fields. Look at what's going on in your doorstep, in your neighborhood, in your community, in your workplace, in your schools, in the hospitals, in this island, in the UK. Look at what's going on in the world. Lift up your eyes, for they are already white for harvest. And if it was white back then, it certainly is glowing with whiteness now. And actually, it hit me recently, a white harvest is more than just a harvest of souls. A white, white in, in scripture, uh, the Greek word leukos, it's the color of forgiveness. It's the color of wholeness, read Isaiah 118. It's the color of purity and holiness, Daniel 7. It's the color of light and glory, Mark 9. And see, what Jesus was talking about then, and he's still talking about now, is that this white harvest that he is sending us into to reap the work that he has done is more than a harvest of salvation. That's so important. It's also a harvest of healing and wholeness and freedom. This ultimate of all harvests, where the life that Jesus has won for us on the cross is a life of fullness and oneness. Just listen to his prayer that he, that he prays to the Father in John 17. He says, I do not pray for these alone, so the disciples. I also pray for those who will believe in me through their word. Is there anybody here who believes in Jesus through his word? Just, oh, it's about 10 of you. <laughs> Let me ask again, anyone here who believes in Jesus, his word? Thank you. It's important, we're responding. Arms up, arms down, okay? This is for you. Jesus' prayer for you and for me. He says, I pray. Now, again, pause. Was there any, if ever a time when what Jesus prayed did not come into fruition? Can you look through the Gospels and find a time where what Jesus prayed didn't happen? No, okay. So this prayer is for you and for me. I pray that they all may be one as you, Father, are in me 
and I knew. Amazing. One in the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. That they may also be one in us, that the world may believe that you sent me. And the glory which you gave me, I have given them. That they may be one, just as we are one. I in them and you in me, that they may be perfect in one. That the world may know that you have sent me and have loved them as you have loved me. A sanctified church is the most powerful body on earth. And if this is not a prayer for healing and wholeness, miracle and oneness, I, I, I don't know what is. And I think this is why James is so passionate. He's passionate in this passage to see the church not only worship and pray in the midst of suffering, verse 14, and actually when we go through those times of suffering and, we, and yet praise God, that's the cost of holiness. That's the price of holiness that we pay. And Jesus modeled for us so perfectly. So not only worship, but step out in faith and see the sick, uh, the sick saved and forgiven and raised up and made whole, verses 15 to 16. You see, wallowing in pity when things go wrong is not the option we're offered. It's not there. Enduring through suffering and seeing God move powerfully is the invitation we are given as a church. And that invitation is to step up and step out in faith and see God heal and lives made whole. On that note, we're going to hear a testimony, an extraordinary series of miracles and I've asked Tim and Jen to come and share their story. This testimony, there we go. This testimony this morning is, is also uh, a prophecy because it's an invitation to yourselves whether you're up on a mountain at the moment or whether you feel like you're down in a valley and maybe you might feel like you're the only one in that valley but actually God is faithful and he continues to love us and look after us and because of that death has no sting and Hades has no victory so come and join us in this Amen um, so yes never did I think that we'd have four and five um, especially after losing Romy, I think we thought we were complete with Nico, um, but God knew. And so I remember uh, when I was in Amanda's garden, Amanda, who's one of our worship leaders, um, and we were chatting, and I remember just making a flyaway comment, um, and I said, there she is, <laughs> um, I, think, I think I'd like more. I think God just needs to give me twin girls and I'll be done. And just as I said that, I caught a glimpse of the Father's face. And it's almost as like he inclined and was like, that's on my heart for you. But I never thought twice about it. I don't know if you've had those moments where you've said something and you just know that's on God's heart. And there's something in that. And it was one of those moments. Um, and literally the next day I found out I was pregnant. And I was like, oh my goodness. 
And then four weeks later, we found out we were having twins. <laughs> we were like, oh my goodness. Um, and then we were told they were boys in the beginning. And they tried to find out um, what they were, the genders, because they were identical twins. Um, and they were sharing a placenta. And so they were trying to find out, but obviously they were a little bit too small to really know. So initially they said, oh, it's boys. And I was like, that's weird. I'm sure I asked God for girls. Um, but I was delighted with boys because I'm a boy mom, as you all know, and I love my boys. Um, and so I was getting used to like picking boy names. And, um, but then at 19 weeks, they finally told us it was girls. And that was like the most epic surprise ever. Um, but anyway, so that was amazing. Um, God's heart like just catching something of his intention there was just at the start. So I knew he seeded something of his heart um, in this. And I needed to hold on to that throughout this journey because it was not an easy one. All right, so week, uh, okay, so yep. So when we started going for scans for the girls because they're twins, we had regular scans. Um, and one of the things the doctors wanted us to look out for was a discordance between them, meaning if one was bigger than the other or if one had more fluid around her than the other. It just would mean that my placenta was then not operating correctly. And that can happen with identical twins. So that when, because they were sharing a placenta, um, sometimes the vessels and the arteries can join and then one gets more than the other and it can actually become very serious. Um, so. Anyway, we knew about this. I had gone for my scan at 18 weeks on, on the 26th of July. Um, it was at zero growth discordance. Um, no, was it zero? Ah, sorry. So it was zero. The discordance was great. There was nothing between them for a long time until we got to 18 weeks. And that was on the 26th of July when they told us that the discordance was 21%, which was actually really serious because at 25%, that's that's... I don't know what they would say. That's like the worst. Yeah, so the next morning they flew me to Southampton to go to the hospital there to meet the specialist to see what to do um, from there. Yeah, so naturally I was really scared at that point. Um, and I remember sitting on the plane, we were both just like, okay, God, what's happening? This was, we just wanted this to be smooth sailing. Has anyone ever experienced that type of thing? Yeah. Um, and, I, and I remember being on that plane, uh, plane and I was just like, oh, God, what's happening? And, and we were both just praying and being like, God, can you just give us some comfort here? And we both really felt God said, I've given you the girls. I've given them to you. And so we, we got into Southampton. We had a scan at lunchtime on the girls. And, they, and the scan showed that Aria, who is oh, there, um, <laughs> that Aria was... <laughs> that Aria was... Um, basically cling wrap to the side of Jen's womb with no fluid. So Ari is steadily dehydrating, cling wrap to the side of Jen's womb. Uh, and Rhea, the other side, is in a massive pool of liquid with a really high blood pressure as a result of all the liquid she's having to, to process. Um, and so they're in a really dangerous place. So that day they put us in a taxi up to St. George's in London, and we met their team that evening. Um, and, and they said to us the next, tomorrow morning, you need to stay overnight tomorrow morning, we're going to do procedure on Jen. Yeah, so that procedure is a, a keyhole surgery, um, and they basically 
had to go into my womb um, and they put a little laser into there and a camera and we could see the babies in the womb. It was amazing actually, but also so terrifying as well. Um, and they lasered down the middle of my placenta to separate the arteries and vessels to give the girls the best chance because um, at this point, if we'd done nothing, they wouldn't have survived. It was 0% survival. So it was an 80% survival rate if we did it. So we were hopeful but scared. Um, and then, so after that first procedure, we had to wait four hours um, to then see if they had a heart rate um, beat. Um, and that was awful. It was a long four hours. Um, and then it was a week to see if I'd miscarry. Um, so these are all the odds stacked against us and we were just like, nope. Um, and as you, as you know, probably we were praying a lot and we were just having to trust God in that. Um, so we went back. Um, am I going on to that? Yeah, perfect. Sorry, we've written down so we don't miss stuff because this is an amazing testimony. We really want to just celebrate what God's done. So anyway, so we went back the following week to see if the procedures worked um, and it hadn't. Um, and the girls were in a serious state at this point. Um, they actually communicated that um, Aria or Rhea was in heart failure um, and Aria was in very anemic. Um, so both really struggling and I was terrified and they were like, we need to put you into surgery again tomorrow and the odds are gonna be 40% survival. And we were just like, God, oh. It's, it's painful when you hit these places, isn't it? It's like, you have to trust that God's gonna come through again, but do you trust? Because, you know, there's been disappointment along the way. You know, we lost Remy. We didn't see what we wanted to see there, but we know he is in life with God there. We know the victory in that and in many other ways that we didn't see in this earth side. So we're, we're here again and we're in this moment. Where we're like, God, is this really our journey? Um, that God is so good. Um. Yeah, and we did, I, I think it's easy to think that because we sat up here and hold a microphone that we always have loads of faith in every situation. And, and the reality is there's points throughout the summer where we were desperate. And, and I shared a couple of weeks ago how I was just, I got angry one day and I was like, God, why do I feel like I always have to beg for my children's lives? Like we were just in desperate spaces and I know we were keeping people updated and loads of people were praying for us and loving us and honestly that makes such a difference when you're in the hard places and I know so many of you know that and have walked similar journeys and you know I just want to encourage you we all have those hard times in those dark places but God is faithful. Um, where are we at? Oh yeah so following this the second procedure went well uh, and it severed the arteries, so they started to bring healing to the girls. Um, so we went week by week, we had to fly to Southampton for scans, and we watched steadily as the fluid equalized between the two girls, uh, and they could have a bit more space. Uh, we watched the hydrops, so hydrops are like fluid inside Rhea's body. Rhea's body. Um, and this fluid is, is just because her, her heart isn't working, uh, isn't working well enough to deal with all of the fluid in the sacs. So she starts producing sacs of fluid in her own, her own body, and that's what was causing the heart failure. And so they, um, we saw those sacs start to decrease. Every scan we went back, this fluid just left her body as her heart was able to catch up. Um, and, and one thing, you know, one thing that's really important to mention is that that's not necessarily a natural way around that should go in terms of those uh, f sacks of fluid reducing and really her recovering from 
what was written down as heart failure is a, is a real answer to prayer. Uh, and thank you for all of you who did pray. Um, and, and Rhea as well, because of all the flu she was processing her heart, um, had a lot going on. And so at one point she started having uh, like a leaky valve in her heart. And so we had to see a cardiologist while we were there. And, and again, just people were praying and the cardiologist said, actually, this is okay, we're not too concerned. And this hopefully will just rectify itself. Yeah, so, sorry. Yeah, so we, we get back to Jersey. I mean, I'm flying out every single week with these babies. It was horrific. I was flying to Jersey, uh, Southampton every week from 18 weeks. It was awful. Um, but we're so thankful for the care that we got um, because that's what these girls needed. And so God's hand was really in that all. Um, so when we're back in Jersey, I'm having an iron infusion because I'm very anemic at this point. Um, and we're speaking to the doctor who's been my um, consultant throughout the pregnancy. Um, and I, I say to him, I'm just so thankful to be here. How many weeks are we at this point? Uh, we're like, we're, all, we're all maybe 25 weeks or something. And I said that throwaway comment, or not a throwaway comment, I just said, I'm so thankful I've come this far. And he was like, well, we all didn't think you'd get this far. As professionals, medical professionals, we were waiting for your babies to basically die. Like they weren't, in their medical professional opinion, um, they weren't gonna make it. And Tim said to him, would you testify to that? Would you write that down that you think there are miracles? And he was like, I absolutely would. This is higher power. But we, he's a Christian and we knew he was meaning God. So we celebrate God for that because even from that, I'm so glad they didn't tell us because I don't even know what I'd have done. We just had our faith in Jesus. But to hear that was such a testimony of the, the life that God's given us in these girls. And so praise God. Okay. So we're getting towards the end. Uh, the girls developed something called TAPS, which is uh, another type of thing where basically Arya's anemia um, increased to the point now that they were worried about her, and so they're talking about delivering us early. Um, and so they actually they took us in Southampton and said, we'll give you a week, and if it doesn't change in a week, you're going to have to come back and deliver here. Uh, and so we did a week. We came back. Again, we were praying. Um, and, but in that prayer we're also praying god can we just be in the right place for them to be delivered because we wanted to be in jersey but we needed to be in the right place and so when we got back to southampton uh, aria's blood had actually got better and so that was showing signs of recovery but they said oh maybe we think we should just keep you here anyway uh, and so that was a real answer to prayer even if it wasn't what we wanted it to be at the time um should i carry on so uh they planned for the four of us to fly to Southampton. We had uh, daily scans, getting ready for the C-section that Jen was going to have. Um, but there were some some tiny things that were just a bit off uh, throughout those ten days, and that was, um, I think, again, God just pinpointing stuff to us. And in the end, they decided to bring forward the C-section. And honestly, uh, they couldn't have done it a moment later. Um, when Jen went down for the C-section, we were assured that it was great. Everything was fine. Um, and then I was waiting in the room while Jen was under general anaesthetic and they, um, the midwife came in to me and said, oh, just so you know, the, the girls are out. But she looked flustered as anything. And I said, are they okay? And she said, oh, yes, yes, and ran off. And then Rebecca said, maybe you should come with me. Um, and so I stood outside the theatre, Jen's under anaesthetic and the girls were in the theatre. And the nurse starts to explain that uh, Rhea 
has come out with a really low pulse rate and that they spent 20 minutes doing CPR on her um, to try and get her heart to start beating again. She's had injections of adrenaline to get her heart moving. She's had a blood transfusion. Um, uh, I remember speaking to a nurse a couple of weeks later and they said basically everything they could do to save her life, they did. And they were just hoping she'd make it. And I remember being outside the theater at the time and, and if you don't know our story, I, I, I was with Remy when they were doing compressions on Remiel, when they were giving him adrenaline, when they were giving him blood transfusions, trying to bring, you know, get him his heart going again and, and it didn't happen at that point and I remember just being there and just praying outside that theatre like God please 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 come and do this and um, after a while Aria was brought out and they put her in my arms and then quickly put her in an incubator took her off and they said she's doing well and then they wheeled Rhea out in a, an incubator and this was after about half an hour of them doing quite a lot of work on her and the doctor came out behind her uh, and he just said to me, he's like, one of them's doing really well, she's gone. He said, but I, this, uh, this girl's had 20 minutes of, of quite serious kind of help. And he's like, but I'm still not sure she's going to make it. Um, and so they just wheeled her off and Jen was still asleep at this time. And I was there reliving some of my worst dreams. And um, I uh, found a, like a parent's room to go and pray. I sent some text messages out to people, telling them to pray at two o'clock in the morning. I got a few replies, which was really comforting. Um, and we just just was praying and saying, God, please, please would you bring healing? And, and in that place, I, I really had a sense that God didn't need me to beg. God wasn't asking me to beg. Um, and he was just hearing those prayers and, and the people who were praying with me. And um, after about 10 minutes, I just felt something lifted and and, I, and God was just inviting me to worship him and so I just worshipped him in that room and just thanked him for who he was and uh, I then snuck onto the neonatal ward to try and find the girls because I felt very lonely on my own uh, and I got to the girls and as I got there the doctor beckoned me over and he said that she's you know what she's stabilized there's nothing that needs me being here anymore I'm going to go back to, to bed he said but um, in the course of 24 hours, she got off the ventilator, off all the sort of support she was on, and she was on kind of the same as Aria by the end of 24 hours. And I think for, for us, the, the comparisons aren't uh, by chance. Rather, God wanted to show us that, look, you know, prayers do work. Prayer really makes a difference. And of course, you know, we've, we have pain. Of course, we miss Romeo. And, and, and just because we have two lovely girls doesn't mean we don't miss him. But it does show us that God does hear and he does answer prayer. And it's no chance that this has all happened while we're doing a series on healing and wholeness. It's not just our journey. It's the journey of the whole church. As we look around us and we see people on, on the pew next to you, there's people who have been through tough times, maybe still are going through tough times. But also on the pew next to you, there's victories and there's healings and there's points for us to be full of praise and thanks to God. And we just really want to encourage you this morning to keep praying, to keep praising him and keep thanking him because he is a miracle working God. And that's us. Thank you. God is a miracle working God. What an amazing, 
story. I mean, there, there is so much. What they've done is just put a bridged version for us to understand those times when uh, God really turned up. Let me, I, I just want to finish off with this. In this passage in James, um, he finishes referring to Elijah. And he says, Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed earnestly. I think sometimes we can fall into the temptation of putting those heroes of faith, whether past or present, on pedestals. They can do it, that's for them, but it's not for us. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. God used him in incredible ways, did so many things through him. And yet he knew fear like we know fear. He knew anxiety just as we get anxious. He knew rejection and abandonment like we do as well. His nature was just like ours. But his heart was for God and God's heart was for him. And even in times, when we look at the different stories in great weakness, he persevered, he prayed earnestly, he didn't give up. He made that choice of the heart to trust and obey God. And what do we see? God through the impossible through him again and again. And he wants to do the same for us. And I want to finish with these words and then going to invite us to stand. Uh, maybe if the band could join me as well. Um, we're going to press in for healings. Uh, I'm aware of time as well, and the, the children have joined us, so I'm going to join the communion part all together. We're going to do this as one. But let's stand together. Let me read these words from Proverbs 3, 5 to 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he shall direct your path. I mean, how many people here need a healing either for yourself or for someone who's close to you? Just, okay. Just take a moment and ask the Father just to show you how he sees you. See, what it tells us in Scripture is our nature is like Elijah. And we look at the life of Elijah and how special and precious Elijah was to God and the way he watched over his life. His nature was like ours. And Father, I thank you that if you see us in this way, which you do, that you love us this much, which is true, that you've poured into our hearts your presence, which is a reality that we can know. I thank you for the plans that you have for us. And so for every single person who needs a healing, can I just ask again, with our eyes closed, those who need a healing for yourself right now, just raise your hand. So kingdom of God come upon every hand that is raised right now. I speak healing in the name of Jesus to aches and pains and back pains and uh, even kind of like treatment that you're having in the name of Jesus. Uh, emotional pain that's deep within you, I say be healed in Jesus' name. 
every muscular uh, issue. I say be, uh, be resolved right now in Jesus' name. We speak healing into your body, into your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Every part of you, as you bring it to the Father, we say let healing flow upon you right now in Jesus' name. Father, I thank you for the healings that you have done and that you're continuing to do. And those things that we would consider and the medals, uh, medics consider impossible. I thank you that you are the God of the impossible. That you are the Lord who breaks in and breaks through. And Father, we pray right now for every single person as their hand is raised that they feel your presence fall upon them. Your healing gift flowing through them. And we say, let your kingdom come. And for those of us who are praying for others as well, Father, we pray that healing gift in the name of Jesus. Just start thanking the Father for his gift. Just as Tim was sharing, you know, when he had that peace in his heart that he worshipped God. I, 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 I kind of sense as well, the testimony of Jesus, the spirit of prophecy is the testimony of Jesus. The testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. And actually what Tim said about not needing to beg, I feel that's the same in this room. It's not about begging. It's about coming in line with the Father of thanking. Thanking Him for that gift of healing that is working out right now in Jesus' name. Father, let your healing gift fall. Let it flow in the name of Jesus.